You know, on December the 16th, 2003, something crazy, unexpected happened to my wife and I. Our first son came into the world. Now, if you're a new parent, you know you had the what to expect when expecting book, but it doesn't tell you what to do when your child is born early or born a premium. A premium, a premium, and, uh, and he is premium, but he is a premium. And uh, so we didn't know what to expect. We had no idea that he's gonna be born that day. And all of a sudden, six weeks early, here he comes into the world. We're not ready. We're going through the book. What to expect when expecting. Okay, do we have the bag? Do we have this in place? Is the nursery ready? We don't have the nursery ready. We don't even know how, how, what's happening so fast. And so we rushed to the hospital when we get there. You know, he's born. I took him to the NICU and we didn't see him for four or five hours. And, and then so two or three days passed, typically right it's time to leave and so my wife is is on that last day and she goes I still don't know 100% what we're going to name our son and so I said nurse excuse me do you have a book with some boys names or some names in it she said sure and we got a book 5,000 names I'm like oh my goodness you know how we're going to and so we're going through the names and we're looking at all the names we're flipping through we had a couple in mind but we're flipping through just in case you know there was something out there that that was different and finally they're checked out discharged in the wheelchair going down the hall and I recall the nurse going ma'am you need to name your son ma'am you need to name your son what shall he be called what are you going to name him and finally we said okay this is the one we had we're going to go with it and we named our son because you know what it's like right because every time if you're a parent and you pick the name you automatically thought of one the teacher that was really strict on you in school right maybe potentially or there was someone that you dated or was an ex-boyfriend ex-girlfriend or a friend that you had that was like so mean to everybody and you're like there's no way we can name them that name right come on don't look at me like you had a halo on you know what I'm talking about we all have that in our life and because the reason why is because when you pick a name it's permanent like you ain't changing that like I mean it is like their name and and, and it's very personal and like that's what they're gonna be called for the rest of life so as a parent you know you, you do the very best you can and, and so what I realize though is that there's power in your name in fact a lot of people believe the most powerful word to you personally is your personal name. Think about it when someone calls your name, you immediately wanna turn, unless you're under age of 12, you don't respond to nothing, right? No matter how many times that you call their name. But every time I go somewhere and someone's checking you out at a cashier or a waitress or a waiter, I look at their name tag and I always call them by their name. One, it's just polite, but two, it's just personal. I wanna call them by their name. I see their name, why? Because there's something power in your name. Last week, we learned God's personal name. God's personal name. Remember Moses at the burning bush? Maybe you haven't heard that story. You can go back and watch online. He's at the burning bush, and, and God says, you know, here's my name. Because Moses says, when I go back, they're gonna say, what's your God's name? There's so many gods out there. What is your God's name? And you tell him, my name is I am who I am, which we know translated into Yahweh. I am Yahweh. That's God's personal covenant, all generational name. Yahweh is his name. Why? Because there's power in that name. And we learned last week that Jesus claimed that name, that Jesus said, I am Yahweh. You know, a lot of people doesn't believe that Jesus declared to be God. He absolutely declared to be God. He says, I am Yahweh. And all through the book of John, there's, there's so many times where Jesus actually claimed the name Yahweh, but John specifically writes his letter to the church in seven discourses. If you've been around church before, you may have heard them called the seven I am statements because John writes these in seven sections that build around these I am statements. And today we get to look at the first 
one of the I am statements in this series. So if you have your Bibles, go to John chapter six, and I want you to turn with me there in John chapter six. And while you're turning, let me welcome everybody watching online. Thank you so much. Maybe you're on a platform. Maybe you're on Facebook. Maybe you're at one of our campuses, Grayson. We love you guys at our Grayson campus or here at our Moorhead campus. We are glad that you are joining us today in this two-part or second part of the seven series here we're working through on the I am statements. And so in John chapter six, and starting in verse one, this is on the screen, but verse one through 14, this is a very miraculous uh, uh, sign took place. And you may have heard about this before, but it's where Jesus fed 5,000 men. That's not including the women or children. That's just the men that were counted. Scholars believe somewhere between 20 to 25,000 people were fed miraculously at this time. Now, there's only two things in the gospels that all gospels record. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. Now they write in their own perspective, inspired obviously we believe by the Holy Spirit, but there's only two things found in all four of the gospels. That is this miracle, the feeding of the 5,000 and the resurrection of Jesus, which obviously we celebrate on Easter. This miracle took place when all these people came and they were hungry and there was not enough food to feed them. And so Andrew finds this little boy, he's got two fish and five loaves, this little you know, Long John snack pack here, you know, this little snackable, and, he, and, and Jesus takes it, he blesses it, he breaks it, and he gives it away. And when he does it, it multiplies. Why? Because when the great I am touches something, it multiplies. And it multiplies, and it fed thousands and thousands and thousands of people. Could you imagine? You're sitting here, and then you're sitting there next thing you know, like, where are we going to eat? And eat? So, did you hear about the guy up there? And he's praying and blessing food and breaking it, and he's feeding everybody. Well, if you were a Jew at that time, your mind automatically went to prophecy. And you remember that when the Messiah is to come, that he was to feed his people, he was to feed his flock as a shepherd would take care of him. You would have known, hey, something miraculous, or you would have thought, this dude's a prophet. Something is amazing about this guy. So either way it goes, your mind went back to the Old Testament to say something is unique about this guy. So Jesus feeds them all. They all leave. Jesus goes to the side of the lake and walks on water, a little, little snippet in between in verses 14 and 25. And then we get to verse 25. And this is where we're gonna pick up in this story. So remember, feeding thousands of people, two, two, you know, two little fish, five loaves of bread, thousands of people, and we pick up right here in verse 25. It's ready to get started. Come on, say, let's go. All right, here we go, verse 25. It says, they found, who are they? The people just had their bellies full. They found Jesus. They found him, this is Jesus, on the other side of the lake, and they said, Rabbi, when did you get here, boy? Hey, when did you come? When did you show up? Jesus says, I tell you the truth. You want to be with me because I fed you. Not because you understand the sign, the miraculous sign of me feeding you guys. But don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. For God the Father has given me the seal of his approval. Now, let me just stop right here and just go to a side tangent. That word seal is where God says, I have sealed my son. I have the seal placed upon my son. That is my son who I'm well pleased. He has been sealed with my mark. Do you know that's the same word that Paul talks about us? In Ephesians chapter one, it says that Jesus has sealed us. Every single person who's put their faith and trust in Jesus, we have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. He goes on and says that seal, that seal is a guaranteed, it's a deposit guaranteeing that I'm gonna come back and receive you 
for myself. And that seal will not be broken by anything. The devil ain't gonna break that seal. Your sin ain't gonna break that seal. He says, I have sealed you, which means I will come back and I will take you to be mine. So the same seal that God puts on Jesus is the same seal he puts on every single person who has put their faith and trust in him. You don't have to say amen, but that's a good, good place to, you know, to say that. All right, keep going. Verse 28. They replied, we want to perform God's work. We want to work and do the great things of God. What should we do? You know how many people are still asking this question? What can I do? What should I do? As we believe it's works that pleases God, as it's works that makes us right with God. We think if we do something, then God is pleased. Some of you today, you're here, you're either watching online or you're in person and you're checking church off as a box because you think if you do this, then maybe God will sprinkle a little bit of blessings down on you or maybe God will overlook how you acted this week or, or maybe, you know, maybe, uh, maybe it makes God happy because, come on, right? I make my mama proud, my parents are proud, I made my spouse proud because I showed up for church on Sunday. So I'm here because I'm just trying to make somebody happy or proud. I showed up. I'm glad that you're here, but that's why I'm here. See, that's the mindset. I've got to do something to make God happy with me. I got to do something for God to be pleased with me. What works must we do? And then what happens is you begin to do those works and you realize, man, church just becomes a chore. You know, tithing becomes an obligation. Well, I just got to do it because the Bible says do it. Serving becomes a burden. You don't want to get up on Sunday morning, right? That's the only day I get to sleep in. I want to come an extra, extra hour and a half to show up and serve. It becomes a burden. Come on, honey, we got to go back to church. We got to serve this morning. It becomes a burden for you because you believe that these works is something based on the works or your giving or, or just showing up at church. There's more than that. So Jesus says in verse 29, this is the only work that God wants from you. If Jesus says that, we should lean in and go, okay, what does God want from us? What does God want for us? What work must I do? And look what it says. Believe. Believe in the one he has sent. Believing is your work. You just need to believe. If you can just believe. It's not by works, right? Because working, you can't work yourself to heaven. You can't work yourself to be good enough. You can't show up enough to make God happy. You have to believe. It's as simple as believing. Believing is what? God wants you to do. And then look what they said. Look, what they, look at the audacity. They answered, show us a miracle. Show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe in you. See, they're hangry now. Y'all know what I'm saying? Because they already been fed. Now they're hangry. You know, now they're turning on it. Well, if you want us to believe in you, show us a sign. Show us what you can do, right? We're gonna go, Israel got talent right here. Jesus, you're up next. Show us what you got. You're up, what can you do? Prove to us that you are the one. Because, by the way, let me tell you who you have to go up against. Look at verse 31. All our ancestors, every single one of them, ate manna while they journeyed through the wilderness. You know, Moses, oh, he's been like Israel's got talent for days. You know, nobody's dethroned Moses. Listen to this. He gave bread from heaven for all of us to eat. So show us, Jesus. Show us what you got. Show us a miracle. You know what's so fascinating about it? He just did. He fed thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people with two little fish, five loaves of bread. Isn't it amazing how quickly we forget how God came through for us in our past? Isn't it quickly we forget the miracles God did yesterday, but we don't believe he could do a miracle today? Isn't it quickly we say, well, that was God yesterday, but what about today? Show me again today. Show us something today. Do something for me again today. God, bless me again today, God. 
how quickly we forget. He's like, did you not just see what I just did? Did you not see this? You know, we took this little bit of lunch and we blessed everybody. And look, every thousand people were full and you had enough left over. And now you're asking me for a sign. Oh, and by the way, Moses gave you bread? See, I think, see, when you get hangry or you like they are right now because they're, they're, they're a little upset, they kind of misquote scripture because they misquoted scripture because Moses did not give them bread. We know that when we look at the text. So where's this all coming from? How, where's this manna? Maybe you're sitting here going, what in the world's manna? Where's this come from? Let's go back. Exodus chapter three. Moses is minding his own business. There's a bush, it's burning. He goes to the bush, the bush talks to him. He begins to talk back to the bush. Is y'all, that's crazy, y'all. Like, I love the Bible. I just love it, it puts everything in. Like, Moses is like, yo, what's up? He talks back to the bush. And as he has this conversation, he says, I've seen my people, they've been in bondage, go get them. Go get my people. Okay, I'm gonna go, but they're gonna ask me your name. What's your name? Yahweh, I am. Tell them I am sent you. Tell them Yahweh has sent you. What does Moses do? He goes back to Egypt, he demands for God's people to be released from bondage because they've been enslaved to the Egyptians. And you know what happens, right? Y'all seen the movie The Mummy? All the plagues come. Here comes the gnats and the flies and, 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 the, and the locusts and the water turns to blood and all these crazy things happen and all this. And you can read this from Exodus chapter four to 15. Probably not good for little kids bedtime reading, but it's a good story. I love it. You should read it, right? All these crazy things happen. And then finally, the last blow on the 10th plague is the firstborn of all Egypt passes away and die when the death angel comes and takes away. The Bible's so fascinating, y'all. Y'all should read it. It's crazy. And a death angel comes and takes the firstborn and Finally, Pharaoh says, okay, enough is enough because my son has died. Take your people and go. And as they left, the Egyptians turned out their pockets, man. They just poured out all their silver and their gold and they gave the Israelites all this stuff and all these resources. And here is Moses relocating, watch this, two million people. Could you imagine relocating two million people? He does it. He leads them. And so as he gets in front of the pack and he's heading out to the Mount Sinai because God said, you're going to come back here and you're going to worship. He's heading back out to the desert and here he goes. Well, all of a sudden, they come to the Red Sea and they're like, well, I can't swim, you know? How are we going to get across this thing? Like, how's this going to happen? I mean, this is crazy. And on top of that, guess what they hear? They hear the chariots of the Egyptians now chasing after them over in the desert coming their way. Why? Because Pharaoh, he was so mad at what took place. He says, I will not let them go. And he sends his army, go back out and let's go get the people and bring them back to Egypt, back in bondage and back in slave. So all of a sudden they're standing in the Red Sea and all of a sudden God does something crazy. He splits the Red Sea and they walk across on dry ground. Could you imagine that? Come on, could you imagine that? First one, the ground is being dry. Come on. And you walk across and you imagine your little boy going, man, this is better than a great wolf lodge. You know what I'm saying? I mean, this is crazy. Like you're seeing fish swim beside you. I mean, you come on, put yourself in the story. You're walking across dry ground on the Red Sea. Now, two million people. See, we think, oh, it's no big deal. We watch the story and read it in the movie. Two million people walk across on dry ground and the Egyptians come running into the sea and, and God allows the sea to crush back over and kill the Egyptians to protect his people. The Bible is so fascinating. I'm telling you, this is amazing. And they get over there and they celebrate and they sing and they dance. This is awesome. This is great. One month, one month into the journey, they begin to complain. Oh, we need a new leader. We need, new, we need somebody to take care of us. We're so hungry. We're in the desert. Where are we gonna have food? Come on, man, it was back and better back in Egypt, man. We need somebody gonna take us and feed us and take care of us. You brought us out here. What in the world is going on? We need a new leader. Two million people grumbling and murmuring about this. 
And so look, the story picks up in Exodus chapter 16. That was 14 through 15. You can go read it on your own back in 16. If the Lord, look what he says to the people. If the Lord only had killed us back in Egypt, they moaned. That's pretty bad. Like this is, this is low point in your life. We sat around, man, you remember, you remember, Johnny, the pots, they were filled with meat and, and we ate all the bread we wanted. Oh, that's so hard. Like, don't that sound so good? This is, I still live this out. This is my family. Like, we eat all the bread. How many bread lovers we got in the house? Come on, you love bread. Get your hand up. Like, you love bread. My wife, she showed me something the other day. She said, remember back in the 90s that everybody ate bread, but nobody knew what kale was? <laughs> you know? like, I had no idea what kale was. Like, I didn't even know what to talking about, kale, right? I mean, bread, man, we love bread. In fact, restaurants, they lose money when my family roll up in there. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, we take all the bread. Like, bread and water, that's all we need. Like, like you go to Red Lobster and get cheddar biscuits. I'm preaching now. Somebody's going to get say like we get cheddar or biscuits you know what I'm talking about like we just take them out like what are you putting in our purse and <laughs> no, we, we just take those like we don't even need that need we just came for the bread and water you know what I'm saying like bread like in this time bread was the meal bread is what satisfied you bread's what gave you carbs to get going now we don't want carbs right like that's what gave you that's what sustained you that's what gave you energy it was the main course part of the meal not just a side an add-on like, man, remember, we had all the bread we wanted. We need a new leader. We should have died in Egypt. Bring us out here to die in the desert. See, they're mumbling and they're grumbling. So God hears this because he hears everything. He says this in verse three. But now you have brought us until the wilderness, this is what the people said, to starve us all to death. We're gonna die. What kind of leader are you, Moses? We're gonna die. Verse four, then the Lord said to Moses, look, I, this is very important. I am going to, this is very rain down food from heaven. Very important. I'm gonna bring the food down. It's gonna come down from heaven for you. And each day the people can go out and pick as much food as they want, as they need for that day. I will test them in this to see whether or not they're gonna follow my instructions. So on the sixth day, I'm gonna allow them to gather all the food that they need for two days. For two days, why? Because on the seventh day, I want them to rest. I don't want them to work. So every day, there's gonna be enough food. It's gonna fall from heaven. You tell them to go gather all the food they need, take it to their tent, eat it up, but on the sixth day, tell them to get two days worth because they're not gonna work on the Sabbath. Well, guess what happens? A lot of those guys said, hey, we got God on this one. <laughs> he ain't gonna know I got this manna. And they took manna and they put it in their sleeping bag, they put it in their pillow, they put it in their tent, they hid it, and the next day when they woke up, it would turn into maggots. God's like, uh-uh, I'm gonna give you enough food for every single day. That's why we pray. God, give us our what, our what, our what, our daily bread. You know what the problem is with us? We don't want daily bread. We want monthly bread. We want yearly bread. God, tell me what's gonna happen. We want provisions for a long time. I don't want it just today to survive. I wanna thrive. I wanna go on. I'm gonna give you your daily, daily bread. And they did this. And it fell, and here's what they called it, Exodus verse 30, 16, verse 31. The Israelites called the food manna, for it was white, and it tastes like honey wafers. And you know what? Watch this, watch this, watch this. God did this for 40 years. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then you double dip again, put two in your pocket, skip on Sunday. For 40 years, God rained down from heaven manna every single day and fed the people. Now go back to John chapter six. Yo, Jesus, what are you gonna do with that? 
40 years, bro. That's the sign that Moses did. That's what Moses did for the people. Of course, they're misquoting scripture. Moses didn't do it. God did it. Yahweh did it. The great I am did it. Show us a sign like that, we'll believe. Show us a sign and we'll, 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 we'll follow you. So Jesus says, verse 32, go back to John 6. I tell you the truth. Moses did not give you bread from heaven. You're misquoting the scripture. You don't understand it. My father did. And now he offers the true bread from heaven. The true bread, watch this, is of God is the one who comes down from heaven. Just like God rained down manna from heaven, the true bread now comes from heaven. And it gives life, not only to you, but to the whole world. And what would you do if you'd have heard this? Sir, just like the woman did in John chapter four with the water. Sir, give us this bread every single day. I want that bread. That bread you're talking about, I want that bread every single day. And here it is, look what Jesus says. I am the bread of life. Ego ime, ego ime, I am. It is this exact same name that God told Moses in the burning bush to go tell Pharaoh, I am. I am Yahweh. He goes, I am, I am the bread of life. In fact, Jesus is the subject here, not bread. It's the bread of life. I am. I am. Ego ime. I am the one. I am Yahweh. I am God. I'm the bread of life. I'm the one that gives you this life. And look what it says. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. I am the bread that you're looking for. I am the one. I am Yahweh. You see, you seek after me just for benefits. I came down to have a relationship. You just want temporary things like your belly full. I'm thinking past temporary. I'm thinking about eternal things like where you're gonna spend the rest of your life. So the manna fell, but the true bread of life has fell from heaven for you and for the entire world. And guess what happens? Guess what happens? Just like their ancestors. Verse 41, John 6, look what happens. Then the people begin to murmur, complain. Why? Because that's what people do. They murmur, they complain in disagreement because he said, I am the bread that come down from heaven. How dare you say that? How dare you make that statement? This is how it's implied when you read in the text. They said, isn't this Jesus? This is son of Joseph, you know, the one that put your porch on, Bob. He's the carpenter kid. He ain't the one that come down from heaven. We know his dad, we know his mom. How can he say he's come down from heaven? Then Jesus, I love this, look what he gets. He goes, look, stop complaining. Okay, grow up, you baby. You know, he didn't say that, but he's like, stop complaining. What are you complaining about? Why are you complaining about what I said? Listen, verse 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them to me, and I will raise them up on the last day. Folks, this is very important. No one comes to Jesus unless the Spirit of God is drawing them. I hear people say all the time, I'll get saved when I want to get saved. Oh, no, you won't. You'll get saved when God draws you to himself. That's why if he is drawing you, you need to respond. 
I mean, I, I, mean, I mean, this is the mindset so many people, I see it all the time, and even myself when I was growing up, I said, you know what, I'm gonna wait. When I get out of college and I get married, then I have a family, and when I have a family, I'm gonna start putting my family in church because usually what happens, the kids to their age of 18, they're forced to go to church because our parents make them to go to church, and then they get 18, they go to college, and then all hell breaks loose, and they rebel on the church, they leave the church, they're not alone with the church, and all of a sudden, they kind of, you know, live this kind of life they want, and then they get, find a person, they get married, and they them, they have a child. And you know what they're reminding themselves of? Oh, dear Lord, I don't want my child to be like me. I don't want them to do the things I did, say the things I did, try the things I did, so I better do something right because it's in their heart. They know this. I need to take that kid to put him in church. And you'll see this. A young family begin to find a place for their kid because they want their kids to learn about Jesus and be, have a good life so they don't go through what they did. And here's what it said. When I have a family, I'll get saved when I want to get saved. I'll go to church when I want to go to church. I'll do it when I want to do it. Oh, no, you won't. You will only do it when God draws you. And listen to me. I believe this with everything within me. The only reason you're here today at one of our campuses or watch online or listen to this on a podcast is because the Holy Spirit has drawn you to this moment. There is nothing inside of you that wants you to do good. Nothing. Nothing wants you to do anything spiritual. Nothing wants you to bless anyone. Nothing wants you to serve people. If anything good comes out of you, it's the Spirit of God doing it. Listen, the reason you're here is because God wants you here today and you responded, which means he has something for you. So how does God draw people? You know how God draws people? By the preaching of the gospel, by the sharing of the gospel, the death, burial, and the resurrection of his son, the true bread of life. And whoever believes in that will have eternal life. That's why every Sunday I beg you to come to Jesus. That's why every Sunday you're gonna hear the gospel preached at this platform and this podium because it's only the gospel that saves you. I can't save you. If I could save you, I would have done that. I can't even save myself. But on September the 2nd, 1997, the Holy Spirit drawn me to a place to hear the gospel and the scales fell off my eyes and my hard heart was now softened to hear. I can't do that on my own. Only Jesus can do that. So listen to me. If God is drawing you and he's speaking to you, you need to respond because there will come a day that it will be too late. That's why the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Give your life to Jesus today. Verse 45, for it is written in the scriptures, they will be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from him comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father, only I have, who has sent from God, have seen him. So I tell you the truth, one more time. Believe, whoever believes has eternal life. Yes, ego ime, I am, I am. You're talking about Moses? I'm greater than Moses. I was before Moses. I was the one in the bush talking to him. I am. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, but they all died. You see any of your ancestors walking around? Because it was temporary. It didn't satisfy them or fill them forever. They all ate this and they died. Anyone who eats this bread from heaven will live, watch this, however, and will never die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. As manna came from heaven, Jesus came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever and this bread which I offer so to the world may live is my flesh. And then he goes on and says a pretty harsh statement. So you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. Now, is he talking physically? No, he ain't talking figuratively. He's not talking literally here. He's not talking that. He's saying, do I gotta eat? And everybody's like, I, I can't stand that. What do you mean, eat your flesh, drink your blood? And all of a sudden, these thousands of people who came to Jesus because he wanted to feed the belly, now go away. 
because the preaching was too hard because they didn't understand the symbolic meaning when Jesus says, I am the bread. You gotta, my body's gonna be broken for you. You gotta eat it. My blood's gonna be shed for you. You're gonna drink. He's not saying we gotta go do that. He's saying, as my body is broken and bled for you, you've got to believe in the true bread of life, which is me. You gotta let that sink in. So, real quick, I wanna make four observations from this passage, how, what the bread of life does for us personally. The first one is this, the bread of life will save you. It's the bread of life that saves us. Nothing else can save you. Coming to church won't save you. Tithing won't save you. Serving won't save you. Reading your Bible won't save you. Being good won't save you. Jesus saves you. You put your faith and trust in Jesus. You believe. I say this all the time. Good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people go to heaven. And the way we are forgiven is we believe that he is the bread of life. He is the one who saves us. He's the one that when we touch this, when we take a, a drink of Jesus, when we, when we touch him, we'll never die. Because why? He has placed his seal upon us. Ephesians chapter one, the same seal he puts on, the, the Father puts on Jesus, Jesus puts on you with the Holy Spirit. It's a guarantee, a guaranteed deposit. So you eat this bread, you believe in me, you'll never die. Physically you may, but not spiritually. You will never die. The bread of life saves us. But listen, the bread of life also sustains us. It sustains you. Just like you eat that bread that gives you carbs, he's talking to people that sustains you for the day, this bread will sustain you for every day of your life. I will sustain you when you get up in the good times and the bad times. When there's trials and there's tribulations and there's highs and the lows, I am the God of the mountain. I will be the God in the valley. I will sustain you for everything that you go through in life. Why? Because that's what the bread of life does. It will sustain you. And it will be your strength and I will be your strength and I will fill your heart. The only appetite you need is me. Because when you encounter Jesus and, and when you meet Jesus, listen, you'll never be empty again. Ever. Because he is with you. And he'll never leave you. And he'll never forsake you. He will sustain you. Also, the third thing is this. The bread of life is what satisfies you. So many people are never, ever satisfied. And what you're looking for is found in Jesus. That's why he says, I am. I am everything that you need. You need love, I am love. You need peace, I am peace. You need encouragement, I'm your encourager. You need counseling, I'm your counselor. I am everything that you need. I will satisfy every craving that you have. And some of us have so many cravings because we're not content. Climbing the corporate ladder trying to get other accolades, trying to get people's opinions and approvals, make sure I got the degree, make sure I achieve this, make sure they like me. Why? Because I have a void that I'm trying to satisfy, I'm trying to fill. But here's what happens. One day you'll get the accolades, you'll get the approval, you'll get the award, you'll get the degree, and then eventually you'll go back home empty. Why? Because it will not satisfy you. Only Jesus can satisfy you. Every craving you look for. He said, I'll satisfy him. That's what the bread of life does. And then lastly, and I love this one, it's my favorite, he secures us. That I am secure in Christ. That Jesus secures me. And not only is it enough that Paul talks about the being sealed, but Jesus goes on and says, 
He who comes to me, he who believes, if he's drawn to me, he will be mine. And did you miss the statement? Don't miss it. He says, and I will raise them up in the last day. I'm gonna put my Holy Spirit on you so when I come back, and folks, he's coming back. Y'all know that, right? We're gonna be talking about this. Oh, he's coming back. And when I come back to get you, the ones who have been marked with the seal of the Holy Spirit, I'm gonna take you to be with me. I guarantee you, I'm coming back. I secured you. What a great promise to have that he loves us that much. Folks, listen, everything you need is found in Christ. Everything. Everything you're looking for is found in him. Everything you desire is in him. He's like this, I am, and because I am, I am everything you need. I am everything you need. And when I think about the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus took the bread, he blessed it, then he broke it, then distributed it. Fast forward now, the night before Jesus was crucified, sitting at the table, the Last Supper. He took the bread, this is my body, he blessed it. He broke it and he gave it. And it was in that moment that even today, as we as a family, community, of faith, as we take communion together, to remember that his body was broken for us, that his blood was shed for us. You know, last night my daughter, two weeks ago, I got the leader to the Lord, I'm gonna baptize her next Sunday. And I said, honey, tomorrow you get to take communion. She goes, dad, what's communion? I said, well, it's a piece of bread and it's juice and what did Jesus do for you? He said, he died on the cross for my sins. I said, you know what they did to him on the cross? I said, they broke his body. I said, the Roman soldiers took a, like a spear and punctured him in the side and his blood came out. Now, it's probably not what you tell your six-year-old daughter. And she goes, they did that so he would die for our sins. I said, yeah. She goes, well, what's the blood and what's the, what's the juice and what's the bread? And I told her how it represents the body of Christ that was broken for us, and, and we do this to remember what he did for us. And she said, Daddy, I'm so glad, Daddy, I'm so glad that I get to take that communion. I ain't going to that devil place. I ain't going to that devil place. I ain't going to that lake of fire. I said, that's right, she's gonna be a evangelist, man. I'm telling you, she's already got it. I'm telling you, it's in her. And the day she got to celebrate communion for the very first time as a believer in her heart. And listen to me, we're gonna celebrate communion together but for some of you, you're just checking this God thing out. I'm glad you're here. You keep checking it out. But communion, just like I told my daughter last night, are for those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus. Because we're gonna remember what he did for us. And until you receive him, you fully hasn't grasped what he's done for you. So if that's you, just, you can just sit still as we take communion together, but you keep coming back. You keep watching. You keep listening to the podcast. Whatever it takes, you keep joining us as we take communion together. So here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to bow your heads. Two invitations. Here's the first one. If you're here today and you never put your faith and trust in Jesus, man, today's the day. 
God brought you right here online, Facebook, doesn't matter. Grace and Campus, more at campus. He brought you right here today. He drawed you here to open up your heart. Would you respond to him? All you need to do is cry out to him and say, Jesus, I believe. I believe you came. I believe you died for me. I believe you got up out of the grave for me. And today, I believe that you are God's son. So please forgive me of my sin. Come into my life and help me follow you for the rest of my life. Now, I'm I'm just so naive to believe the scripture says that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And if you just called upon the name of the Lord, you know what happened? The Holy Spirit now has sealed you. you to follow him for the rest of your life and if that's you no matter where you are you can join us right now and do communion with us here's a second invitation if you're a Christian a believer in Christ Jesus would you ask him right now say God is there anything between me and you and whatever the Holy Spirit shows you confess it don't argue with him well I had the right to say that and don't try to justify whatever the Holy Spirit brings to your mind. Confess it and just say, I'm sorry. Because as we take communion together, we want to do it with a pure heart. Just confess it. And he says, I am faithful and just. I will forgive you over and over and over. It's in the present tense, which means it's constant cleansing of Jesus' blood for our sins. So I'm gonna give you just a few seconds here. Whatever he reveals to you, just confess it. front of you should be a communion cup if not somewhere around your chair in front of you maybe on your chair maybe if you're watching online or Facebook go grab you a piece of bread juice as we take this together you're more welcome to celebrate with us for those who put our faith and trust in Jesus Paul writes in 1 Corinthians this this is very powerful listen to what he says For I pass on to you what I have received from the Lord himself. Isn't that fascinating? Jesus told Paul this. I'm gonna pass on to you what Jesus has shared with me. And it says this, on the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread. He gave thanks for it, and then he broke it. He blessed it, then he broke it. And he says this, he held up the bread. This is my body which is the manna from heaven, which has come down eternal bread. This is, I am the bread of life, the one who saves you, secures you, sustains you. I am. He said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper. And listen to what he says. This cup is the new covenant. Now your Bible, you have an Old Testament and a New Testament. That word testament means covenant. There's the old covenant, now there's the new covenant. The new covenant, the new testament, it starts right here. Jesus initiates a new covenant with his blood. He said, this is a new covenant between God and his people. And here's the agreement. 
Here's what's confirmed it. It has been signed, sealed, and delivered in my blood that was shed for you. So when you drink this, remember that I shed my blood for you. I started a new covenant for God and his people right here. Do this in remembrance of me. And then I love verse 26. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, here's what you just pronounced. You're announcing that Jesus died and that he got up out of the grave. And then I love this. And he's coming again. And we're gonna be talking about he's coming again. He's coming back for you and for me. And so what we just did as a family, as a community of faith, is that we just proclaimed he came, he died, he got up out of the grave. Oh, and guess what? That's Paul Hart said. The rest of the story, he's coming back for me and for you. We have been sealed with the Spirit. Father, we thank you so much for your love and your grace and your mercy. Thank you that, you're, <laughs> that you save us. Thank you that you sustain us. Thank you that you are the only one who will satisfy us. And thank you, Lord, that you sealed us. What a glorious day that will be when we see you face to face. Lord Jesus, come now. Don't wait, don't tarry, come now. Receive your church, receive your bride. Come get us now. As we long for your await and your appearance, will we get to spend eternity with you. Oh, what a glorious day that will be. For it's your name we ask and we pray. And everyone said.